Welcome to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. You know, in most of our episodes, we talk about all the cool new technology or the innovative processes that leading enterprises are using to help their employees to be more productive, to have a better digital workplace experience. But what about the many millions of people who don't have proper devices or maybe don't even have reliable connectivity, or maybe they have a device and connectivity, but they don't know how to use the devices to get full access to the services available to them? Now, if you're an enterprise, you may wonder, well, how does that affect you? But if you are trying to increase your employee diversity, then you are likely missing out on accessing a large group of individuals who could be providing innovative ideas to your company as your employees. But you're not going to find them because these people are suffering from digital poverty. So in this episode of the Digital Workplace Deep Dive, we're going to examine digital poverty, what it is, how it is that the Positive Transformation Group is bringing together multiple organizations to end this problem of digital poverty. So with me today is Dan Brown, the founder of Positive Transformation Group. Also joining us is Harry Messenger, who has been spearheading the research behind digital poverty. And that then feeds and informs the strategy of Positive Transformation Group going forward. Also joining us is Annette Brown, who is taking this strategy and turning it into something real as head of operations. Annette will share with us some details about a pilot that she's running to deliver laptops to three very needy groups. But even with devices and connectivity, there's still one missing ingredient to addressing digital poverty. And that's why I've invited Davood Porhussein of Unisys, who is investigating that missing ingredient. More on that later. Harry, let's start off with you. I mean, how big of a problem is digital poverty, really? In the UK, there's 1.5 million households that have no internet connection. There's also a shocking statistic with regards to the fact that 23% of children have no connectivity. And in a COVID world, uh, when increasingly more learning is, is done online, it becomes very difficult for these children to get the education they need. And the final statistic I'll give you is 8% of those in the UK have zero digital skills. And I think you know Western as well as we do, that the world today, from booking your vaccination through to registering on the census or voting, much of this is done online. If you don't have this, then you are excluded from this increasingly critical part of, of life. So the mission that we're under is to try and address some of these shocking statistics and really level up the playing field when it comes to digital inequality and bring those that have been left behind along with the rest of the country and, and I guess the rest of the world. So with these shocking statistics, Harry, I'd like to introduce Dan Brown. You founded Positive Transformation Group in order to address digital poverty. Can you talk a little bit about your motivation and what it is you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, the whole uh, concept behind Positive Transformation is really based upon my own personal experiences. I was homeless in my late teens. Then I had some people early on in some very difficult times that provided me with an opportunity to access employment um, that sent me on a very different trajectory in life. The, you know, the underlying ethos of positive transformation is about effective collaboration. It's about bringing the right people together, making good connections, 
connecting people to resources to tackle some of society's biggest complex social problems, but also making sure that we do it in a commercially sustainable way. So what that means here is that I was looking at digital poverty with people like Annette and Harry and saying, you know, what can we do that's going to be really effective? The temptation is to look at sort of quick-fix solutions. You know, let's pile out laptops here, let's do this, let's do that. But the reality is there's a much bigger challenge, which is how do you make this sustainable long-term? How do you give everyone the right connectivity, the right access, the right devices? How do you make sure these things are monitored, tracked, secured? What do you then give people access to? How do you train them? And that's not something that anyone is going to be able to address on their own long-term in any sort of sustainable way. What we've been focusing on at Positive Transformation is we have a very effective way of accessing funding to help create a long-term sustainable solution to make sure that people are helped, supported, and that's done in a long-term sustainable way. So I hope that helpful. It certainly is an ambitious goal, talking about taking on something as big as digital poverty. And I'm thinking about, Harry, the numbers that you just quoted, one and a half million households just in the UK. I mean, I'd like to put a a face to those numbers. Uh, Maybe, Annette, you could help with that. I mean, what are some examples of actual people, you know, that are in that one and a half million households that are suffering from digital poverty? I've been focusing on just three groups for the time being, and they are the uh, veterans, so people coming out of the army, navy, military. There is some support there for them, but they're quite a big group. We also have been looking at the returners to work, and the returners to work, we've sort of drawn a line in the sand and said anybody that hasn't been in employment for sort of two to three years, now that could be because they've been in prison, it could be that they're a a mum returning to work, they could have mental health issues, but rather than label anybody with any of those tags, we're just using the term returner to work just because they won't have been in a digital workplace, had access probably to the, to the internet and devices over that time. And then there's the education piece. And the education piece is a beast of its own because we have issues with the teachers themselves not being educated in digital. They don't have access to devices themselves. The schools are in areas of high deprivation where the children go home. They can't do online learning, which is something that they've had to do through the pandemic, as we know. The teachers can't support them because they don't really get how it works they're not trained properly in the digital workplace so so there's a whole raft of people out there and that's you know we haven't even looked at people that maybe have had critical illness and they can't work so they've lost their income there's those there's the elderly you know the list is endless but but the groups we've really been focusing on where we think there's the higher density are those three the, the veterans the returners to work and the education piece Goodness, if you cover those three groups of people, I've got to believe that is going to have a tremendous impact on return in society. David, I'd like to maybe turn our attention to enterprises. That's the bulk of our audience is global enterprises. And as they're listening to this and thinking, well, what, how does this matter to me as a company? You know, digital poverty and, and the groups of individuals that will be helping here. What is the potential impact on a business's ability to operate if they're suffering and don't even know about it from digital poverty? So if you imagine um, any thriving business at the moment needs a very diverse workforce to be successful, and we need people from lots of backgrounds and lots of experiences to make up that workforce. And 
tying into the three groups that Annette was mentioning, there's going to be a wealth of experience and skills within that group. And if the only barrier to being able to be a part of your company are what we would term, you know, basic digital skills, even down to the step of you know, applying for the job in the first place or finding it, that means you could potentially be missing out on a huge pool of candidates and great people for your organization. Everyone knows that skills in, in, in specific areas can be difficult to find and businesses need to do everything they can to attract top talent and attract the right people for the right jobs. And in order to do that, you've got to cast your net as wide as possible. So if you don't invest and don't have programs that allow you know, the groups that we're talking about here to be a part of that recruitment bucket, your business could potentially be losing out on great people with innovative ideas. But without that bedrock of the digital um, services, you'll never actually see these people, get to know them, find out about them, which is it's going to be a terrible loss. Yeah, the only thing I'd build on that is, as well as missing out on potential top talent, we as enterprises could also be missing out on consumers, especially if you're working in the kind of the digital world. If whatever it is, 10% of your potential audience is not able to access what you're offering, that's a big, big hole. That's a big gap and a big opportunity. Both sides of the equation. Excellent point. So enter Positive Transformation Group. Uh, we've talked here about what digital poverty is, whom it is affecting, why it's important both for society and for business to pay attention to it. Now let's get to the nuts and bolts. I mean, this is a big problem. I mean, Dan, how are you attempting to solve this? Before you answer, let me just read a quote I found on your website. It says, your goal is to connect ethical businesses to good causes, to put environmental, social, and governance at the center of our work because the financial investment has to have a circular return for humanity. This whole um, idea of positive transformation is about looking at things differently and saying, what is it we need to do to impact humanity? But also it's about saying, what can we do that actually drives commercial benefit? And the digital poverty, i.e. accessing huge customer segments globally, that are currently untapped is a really, really good example of what we're doing. And it's just, it is just one example. If we look under the covers at the financial situation, governments, and not just here in the UK, but all around the world, we've already identified equivalent situations in France, Germany, there's also in the US as well, incredibly large pots of money that have been made available to reinvest in training, development, back-to-work schemes. So what we're doing is we're looking at it and saying, okay, well, a lot of that money is currently being underutilized. Well, there are a couple of problems. There is an underutilization of the money for what it should be used for, which is training and development and helping to get people back into the workplace, helping to create the right opportunities. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of money there, but it's being underutilized. There's another problem around that, which is there are a lot of organisations who have identified all of this money and realised that if they set up a vehicle to suck as much of it out as possible, they can become very, very profitable, but without actually doing very much for the people that need it. So what we wanted to do was to say, let's create something more around a circular investment. So how do we help organisations identify what money it is that is available 
that could help upskill their workforce at all levels? Is it their money that's been taken and put into a fund? Is it other money that the government has made available for those organisations to use to be more effective in a post-COVID world? So how do we help them identify what all that money is? And we're talking hundreds of billions. This is not small amounts of money. How do we help organisations understand what money is available? Then we can create and help them create the right programmes to upskill and develop their workforces, um, utilise that funding for what it's intended for, which is to help them create opportunities for people in the right way that impacts society and humanity. But instead of taking huge profits from it, why don't we take the majority of that and reinvest it back into other programmes that support greater creation of opportunity? So in this example, identify the money, work with corporates to make sure they understand what's there, what's available, help direct it into the right places, that benefits their businesses, but then create a fund. Instead of us taking all the profit, we create a fund that then enables us to go and buy, in this case, laptops, connectivity, devices, to help organisations then create that ecosystem. So, so this is the plan. We've got the research. We've got the plan in place. I'm sure our listeners are wondering, yeah, okay, uh, sounds great. Is this really possible? Can it actually happen? I mean, Annette, we're laying this at your feet here. You're putting together the operations to make it real. And I understand you already have a pilot in progress. Can you explain how this is working in the real world? So we have recycled and refurbished an amount of laptops here at Millbank where I work in my day job and for those laptops that have been refurbished we've put them into a pilot phase where we're literally trying to put into practice what we've been talking about for the last few months that is they will be delivered to the various groups that I spoke about earlier which will be um, some to the schools there'll be some going to the veterans and there'll be some going to the returners to work group We will be monitoring the progress of how they get delivered, how they get set up, what need for training there is, either from a software side or from a technical side, and just monitor that whole process as we go through um, delivering those laptops out to the communities. It's um, been challenging from now because we've done the refurbishing in-house We'd be looking at possibly buying new devices rather than going through the refurbishment route. So there's actually quite a bit of work involved in that. Um, and it's quite resource hungry. But the whole process of getting the devices, devices out to the communities is really the, where we're trying to focus on getting feedback from those people that have agreed to be part of the pilot so that we fully understand if we've got it right because we've been talking about it. We don't know if in practice it, it is as we expect it to be, I think it is. So it will just give us an idea of how we can help people from a support perspective. And I think because, you know, do they know how to switch on the device? Do they know what an an icon is? Do they know what a URL is? You know, all the things that we take for granted, you know, working in a digital environment are things that are very alien. And, you know, I quote somebody that I spoke to about people coming out of prison and, you know, they asked the question, why do they call it an iPhone? Because nobody uses it as a phone. They use it as a tablet, right? But they don't even know what the term tablet means. If you think about somebody that hasn't been exposed to that for the last maybe five years, 
it makes sense that they wouldn't understand that. So we think we've got the answers and for, to help them, but support for us is the biggest hole in, in all of this pilot. And this will help us understand truly what we need from a support perspective. And I guess that would feed back, Harry, into your research. So the learnings from this pilot. I imagine, uh, Harry, you're probably looking at the next phase. So uh, Annette, the Millbank pilot, hundreds of PCs. Harry, I mean, what might this look like to a multinational or global enterprise that's trying to roll something like this out? Dan mentioned about governments throwing money at this challenge. I think that's what we've seen in the UK, whereby I believe it was 1.3 or 1.4 million devices have been rolled out over the last six, nine months. And I think many people think that's job done. You know, you you Mm. spend money on new devices, new kit, and then it's it's all okay. But if you don't have the other two components, the connectivity and the support or the education, then you're really missing out. So I think it can be seen as a real quick fix just to work with a a big tech company to get some devices out there. But um, the reason why what Annette's doing is so well thought through and so so important is because you need all three elements to be successful. So I'm not sure if that completely answers your question with regards to how it impacts corporates, but um, we're approaching this like a corporate would. Now, Harry, you mentioned one ingredient here we haven't talked much about. Uh, we talked about getting the device. Annette, you've walked us through uh, you know, connecting with funding that, Dan, you've talked about, and then uh, the process of getting the device in somebody's hand. We've touched on education or training or support. Davood, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I mean, this is something you live and breathe every day, providing support for large corporations, part of your service. I mean, what would a support service look if we were to roll that out as part of this program as well? So if you imagine in Unisys's case, you know, what do we do best? Digital workplace services. And around that, we have got proven scalable models, which do use a support service desks, device security, experience management, all those kinds of things. And what we're looking to do is how do you make those services that are tried and tested available to people who aren't your corporate customers? How do you have a public almost service desk where the recipients of these devices can reach out and get support if they've got a question or something's not clear? So what we're working on and the kind of vision we're hoping to achieve is this larger, almost enterprise-grade support process, which will look after these devices, support these users, and all the various companies that come on board as part of PTG could run an element of it or run a time slice of it so that we're all working together to invest in the kind of soft skills and the training that needed to make sure that we do have this you know, sustainable workforce in the future, this diverse workforce. Um, and it, it, it's all a, a long-term game. Well, I think in concluding here, I'd like to ask each of you to think about some tips or suggestions you could offer to our listeners. You know, if somebody, an enterprise is listening, says, wow, this sounds awesome. I really would like to participate. It sounds like it's real. And now what would be the next step? I mean, maybe start with you, Dan. How do they connect with you? And what does that relationship look like? Yes, they can get in touch with us. They can go to our website, which is positivetransformation.org. Um, they can connect with me, Dan Brown, on LinkedIn or, or the team, uh, Harry Messenger uh, or Annette Brown. So we will make people's lives easier to do this. 
So I just think there is a, you know, my sort of closing note is we really want to talk to everybody who would just like some help, advice, support. How do we get involved? How does our business contribute to this? And there are so many ways that you can that will also benefit your business. But just from a human point of view, just really consider for those people who are really going to be needing the connectivity just to access basic resources that are going to be offered to people digitally and they're the same people that don't have any access. So for the people at the the difficult end of society, this is a self-perpetuating nightmare and something I just feel we should have a much more human response to considering far beyond business and charity and anything else. This is a real, you know, how do we support and create a humanity that we can all actually be proud to be part of. Well said. And I think two great examples of people that are looking at the human side of things, not, you know, the financial side per se, are you, Harry, and you, Annette. I don't know if our audience caught that, that both of you have day jobs. This is not, you know, Positive Transformation Group is something that you are very much passionate about, but you also have day jobs in corporate organizations. Harry, would you like to comment real briefly on what it is that you would recommend to somebody in an enterprise, in a corporation, who would want to participate, maybe some from your own personal experience? I would say government needs to lead this, but society is needs to play a key role here. And corporations, in my definition, are, are part of society. I'm sure a lot of your listeners and the companies they work for are tech-based. We have the expertise. We have the resources. Um, we need to really lean in here. And I would bet in every country that your listeners are in, there will be something equivalent to Positive Transformation Group. So I would look to find them. I'm sure it's not too difficult. And I would lean in and provide, it's not always devices, it's time, it's ideas, it's energy. Because I think the theme running through this whole podcast, this whole conversation has been, it's really in your own interests. If you, if you can't look beyond the humanitarian element, it really, from a business perspective, it's in your, your company's interest. Thank you, Harry. And you, Annette, as you are running through this pilot, I've got to believe you've got a, a lesson learned or a recommendation that uh, you could offer to our listeners who are thinking, man, I'd like to participate in this as well. Yeah, I, I think the pandemic has actually brought this to more to everyone's attention. And I think from my own personal experience from, you know, friends and relatives who've actually lost their jobs through the pandemic, that could happen at any time. The pandemic has obviously highlighted that for a lot of people, but it could happen through sickness and all the other things that we spoke about earlier. So if you suddenly lost your job and you lost your lifeline, which was your laptop, your phone, everything that you get in a corporate world, where do you go tomorrow? Where do you get the next device from? How do you get connected? You've got no job, you've got no money, you've got nothing. Just think it can turn in 24 hours, it could be you. And just think that where you'd like to be and where you'd like to find that help. And it's amongst people like us who want to help people that are less fortunate at that time and it's only at that point in time because if they're given the right tools they can move on and and get on with their lives and that's what I'd like to see. Annette I fully agree that the pandemic has highlighted how quickly and um, how unexpectedly things can change for any of us so I personally want to thank each of you Dan Brown the the founder of Positive Transformation Group 
uh, Harry Messenger, who has been leading the research that informs PTG strategy, and Annette Brown, who has been leading the operations and making it real. And finally, Davood Porhussein, who is my colleague here at Unisys. Thank you all for your time today. You've been listening to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. In this episode, we've examined the problem of digital poverty and the great work that's being done by Positive Transformation Group to come up with a sustainable solution to addressing this problem. If you'd like to learn more, I will be including links to the Positive Transformation Group's website, as well as contact information for the key members that you heard here today. Thank you for listening. Thank you.